Welcome to Founders Focus, a podcast made for founders by founders. I'm Scott Case, CEO and co-founder of Upside, and I created Founders Focus to help share free resources and actionable advice. Together, we're building a community for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and founders to come together to tackle today's challenges. This podcast is powered by my awesome team at Upside. Please visit foundersfocus.com to join the live video sessions or to catch up on past topics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn things over to Toby in a moment. So Toby Moore has joined us today. He's the co-founder and CEO of Optoro. Um, he's grown the company from a scrappy startup, and we're going to get into his roots a little bit here, uh, to a, a giant uh, success uh, in the retail space, particularly helping retailers address a $500 billion market of all the stuff that you all return when you decide that it doesn't fit the way you expected it to or whatever other challenges you have. Um, it's got to end up somewhere and, and Toby's built a, a really cool business around that. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Toby to introduce himself and, uh, and then we'll dive into a fun conversation. Thanks, Scott. Uh, good to see you all. Uh, happy that we're able to keep DC Startup Week going, uh, even, uh, even if it's virtually. Um, I uh, started Optoro back in 2010 uh, with uh, a couple co-founders in DC and even before that started a, a smaller startup in 2004 in the DC area. I'm also a DC native uh, and so I've spent uh, many, many years in, in the Washington area and have seen it grow a lot and have also seen the DC tech community grow from, from nothing in the early days to a, a great community today. Um, you know, we're in, uh, down in Chinatown. We have about a couple hundred people in uh, the DC area, uh, working at our offices, uh, all virtually right now, of course. Um, but we also have a, uh, R and D, uh, facility down in operations facility down outside of Nashville as well. And, uh, more and more people around the country and around the world, uh, uh every day as uh, COVID goes on. Awesome, Toby. Thanks. I, I think that uh, it would be helpful for all of us to get a little bit more detail on what Optoro does, how it, what, what's the key problems that you solve, and, and uh, kind of where, where are you? And let's start with where were you coming into 2020? So just sort of lay out what do you do and why do you do it? Yeah. So uh, we started Optoro when we recognized that there was a, a major problem in retail where there was uh, a lot of waste. Um, you know, I know there's a, there's a, a study in uh, 2018 done by the UN and one of the, the uh, results that they came up with was that uh, by 2050 um, with the level of consumption going on that we have today and with the, the population worldwide growing to 9.7 billion by then and middle classes around the world uh, growing, um, we'll need three times the Earth's natural resources to keep up with our current lifestyles. So it's just unsustainable uh, in general in terms of all the waste it creates, but also we won't actually have the, the resources to do that. And so, uh, you know, when and we were seeking out to find problems to make retail more sustainable. And one of the areas where we saw a, a huge issue was in customer returns. And uh, this is an even bigger issue with uh, online sales where the return rates are as high as 25%. But now there are over $400 billion of customer returns in the U.S. a year. It creates over 5 billion pounds of waste. Uh, and 
when you expand beyond that and look at all consumer products that, that people don't want that they can trade in or return back, it's an it's a even bigger problem than that. So at Optoro, we set out to, to solve that problem and build a platform to f- facilitate circular commerce for retail returns and trade-ins uh, of products uh, you know, for whether it's 30 days or years down the road. Um, so really what our platform does is it connects each unwanted item to its next best home as efficiently as possible. And there's really three components of it. We focus on making it easy for people to return the goods. So returns experience, uh, making it easy to manage the processing of returns, which we call returns management, and then making it easy to resell, uh, repurpose, recycle, or donate the, those goods coming back, which we call re-commerce. Um, we work with Best Buy, Ikea, Staples, Williams-Sonoma, to name a, a few of the big clients. And uh, really going into 2020, uh, the focus was, uh, was actually on improving returns experience for online returns and expanding our, our supply chain offerings. So we were fortunate enough where we actually already were investing. In, I mean, e-commerce, as everyone knows, was already a major growth area. So we're focusing a lot on that. And um, yeah, so that was where we were going into 2020. So I want to unpack a little bit just for everybody who's you know, thinking through. Can you just take us through sort of a typical good, maybe the you know a specific item that kind of gets returned and how it makes its way through its next phase? Uh, just it could be anything that you that you guys naturally see inside the business. Yeah. So if if you were uh, doing a doing a return and uh, with a client that where our technology is in use. Uh, you know, might start with your phone. So you, you, know, you click on the past order through, a, through an email or by logging into a site. Uh, it would take you to a, a returns portal. You'd answer a couple of questions on why you're returning that item. Is it new, not new? Is it broken? You know, what's the, the main reason? Uh, then the portal would, would give you a QR code uh, and tell you some locations nearby where you can drop it off or you could print out a label also and ship it. Uh, at that point, our platform would have what the item is that's being returned. It would have also the condition of it given by the consumer. So we'd know that, you know, you're returning a, uh, a Yeti or something um, and it's slightly used. And then with that information, uh, we would we would then uh, route you somewhere to drop it off or ship it. And once that good is hits our system in the supply chain, it then directs where that product should go. So our technology is used in storefronts and in distribution centers that are used to receive, process, test and grade returns. And it's all automated telling the different uh, coworkers in those spaces what to do with the products. And then once a product is in the supply chain, uh, our system connects into all of the channels where those returns can be resold or recycled. And it'll actually direct it onto certain websites and, and provide content and pricing to remarket that product in its new uh, charities. And it'll send it to charities that are in need of those goods uh, or send it to recyclers that can repurpose it. And so we're, we're actually the technology that is used from the very beginning to the end, uh, connecting that product and automating the process along the way. 
I like your description of it being kind of re-commerce with an R in front of it. And the idea that something that I, you know, a pair of sneakers that I bought that for whatever reason they didn't fit or I don't want them anymore can kind of make its way back around and maybe show up on eBay where somebody who's excited about it can have it. And if it's damaged in some way, but still usable to, for parts or something else, somebody else gets it. It's a, it's a, it's a cool way to close that whole system out. Uh, who, who are some of your, biggest partners? Where, where might we experience this from a customer standpoint? Like who are your big clients? Yeah, so our, our, um, I mean, our biggest clients are Best Buy, uh, Ikea is another really big one uh, that we work with, um, Bed Bath & Beyond, Williams-Sonoma, to, to name a few of them. Got it. Awesome. Uh, I, I remember a few, a few months, uh, probably maybe a month and a half ago or so, you and I got to catch up. It had been a while. In fact, it probably had been, the last time was probably pre-pandemic. And uh, you were gracious enough to ask me how things were going. And I was smart enough to summarize them as, hey, we're in the business travel space. We figured out a way to win. And, you know, it's been challenging, but, you know, we've, we've sort of got it. How have things been going for you? And uh, I remember thinking, I, you know, yeah, it's been challenging. You know, I've had my own challenges. And then you described to me a little bit how your March began. Now, many of us look back at March and think, man, that was the month that talk about in like a lion, out like a lamb. We got in like a lion and out like a, a tornado on with a, on top of a hurricane, you know, in a roller coaster ride. But you had a very interesting experience at the beginning of March. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because you had big plans that got massively disrupted in an unexpected way. Yeah, I think I, you weren't expecting my, my rambling answer <laughs> that came as a response. I feel like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, like I'm Forrest Gump or something everywhere where something's happening. But yeah, I think it was April we caught up and, and you were saying how things, things have gone. So our March started, uh, unfortunately, uh, our R&D center, our operations center in Nashville got hit by a tornado uh, and totally destroyed and turned to rubble. So that was two weeks before uh, COVID really set in. It was like March 3rd that it, that it happened. Um, and so we were, you know, fortunately, everyone- I want to just, I want to just pause you there. How big was the facility that you had just opened? Just to give an order of magnitude scale? That one was- uh, it was 350,000 square feet. I just want to just say out loud 350,000 square feet. That is a very, that's not like a building got knocked down. That is like a no kidding around operations center that had a lot going on in it. I think you, you said that nobody was hurt or injured because of the timing of it, at least within your facility. Yes. We were, I mean, that was the biggest thing. We were very fortunate that uh, it happened at 1 a.m. Uh, we do run night shifts a lot, but we were just lucky that night we didn't have one going. And so our entire staff was, was safe, uh, which was great. And so it just, but it, it became an immediate sprint for us to recover from that. You know, that facility launches a lot of pilot programs for us. So we had 14 different clients who had programs going on through there. And we you know, basically had to find a new facility and get set up within the week uh, with that. So we didn't disrupt the, the business with our clients. And so that actually mobilized us a couple of weeks before uh, COVID, which helped in terms of the communications. But yeah, so we had a tornado hit. Uh, I then w went out and uh, was visiting uh, 
my uh, my family we had we're meeting up like the the following week and my brother shows up the week before everyone goes to shut down and he has covid and so i get stuck with him for two or three weeks while he you know goes through you know all the you know the worst symptoms um and then while i'm doing that where we were an earthquake hits and so i'm going through an earthquake and, and it was like a it wasn't huge. It was like a 5.8. This was, I was out in uh, Salt Lake city uh, and yeah, buildings fell down and the airport was shut down. And then the next day, my aunt who lives down the street from me, her house burned down uh, like to the ground. And then uh, I finally get back to DC like a, a couple of weeks later. And, you know, we have one of our huge storms and my basement floods completely. So I got, I got hit by uh, tornadoes, pandemics, uh, earthquakes, floods, fire. And I'm, I'm now just waiting for, uh, for the locusts to come. <laughs> I think you've gotten the, you, you got a really nice dose of the full compliment that 2020 has had to offer all of us. Um, and, uh, uh <laughs> the challenges were piling up that said, here we are in September and, uh, you made a bunch of changes to your business to um to adapt so can you take us through kind of from a from an opturo business standpoint what have you what have you done and how have you uh kind of shifted the business to be able to continue to be effective and and continue to grow yeah it's been a, a interesting time and uh you know as i mentioned the, the tornado probably helped us kick off extra fast because we already uh were set up in emergency response mode and uh, you know, I'm sure like most people running companies here, I mean, we're, we're running most of our business completely virtual. We do have the operations center in Nashville that is essential workers and has been open the, the whole time. And we do have people who do implementations uh, for other big warehouses around the country that also have, have uh, been working. Um, but the, the retail uh, world was hit pretty hard and we had our, you know, our big clients, they had their stores shut down for, you know, a couple months early on, they had their supply chains disrupted and they had uh, massive surges online. And so, uh, you know, when, when we were hit by all of this, the first thing was make sure that all of our people are, are okay, they're supported, uh, they're, they're safe and as healthy as, as we can help them be. And so that was our, our, our first focus was down in, in Nashville, uh, separating, uh, you know, people, creating different shifts, uh, uh, you know, having temperature checks at the beginning, putting up plexiglass, uh, putting in all the different protocols to be safe down there. And we've you know, been very fortunate to be uh, incredibly safe down there. Um, and then, uh, you know, we set up constant communication. So we had to uh, redo all of our communications and make it all virtually, make it happen more often uh, to keep everyone uh, to speed on everything. And then, so after focusing on, our, on the people, there, you know, there was a business side where, uh, we were worried like everyone else, what was going to happen to business. So, you know, look at, you know, were there any frivolous costs or you know, obviously travel was an easy one, uh, you know, unfortunately uh, that for some to, to cut, but you know, we weren't going anywhere. We didn't have office expenses. Um, so we cut back on some of that. Um, and then uh, we turned to looking at how could we help our, our clients and um, you know, they were in need and the retail world was shifting a lot. So, there's a couple of big areas that we, we look to focus more on. One, there's a lot of supply chain disruption going on. So how could we 
help people pop up new facilities or find space for them where we can help them run facilities uh, for their surge and online returns or for goods that were stranded in certain states when facilities were shut down. So we, we did a lot of work there early on helping clients with this and popped up new returns facilities quickly for them. We actually had, again, developed this muscle um, really quickly. I had done a test run because of the tornado where we had to pop up a new facility for 14 different clients. So we, we had already done a practice run and were ready to do this quickly. Um, and then the, the next phase that we focused on was really uh, returns you know, is 25% of online sales. And a lot of these brick and mortar retailers were used to 7% returns back in their storefronts. So we really focused on helping them come up with solutions to make the returns experience uh, better and less wasteful. Uh, and that's an area where you can, uh, you can do a great job and, and get people to love the customer experience and come back, or you can do a bad job and you get all these new customers. If they end up returning an item, it's a bad experience. Uh, they don't come back again. So we really, uh, you know, sat down and, and, you know, mobilized a lot of our team to focus on uh, returns experience for, for online sales. So we got a, a question from our, from the audience here uh, that's kind of related to that returns experience. How do you combat, uh, I guess, fraud of all types? Presumably people either in, in, I guess intentionally or, or, or accidentally misrepresent the quality of the good or how well how used it is or the product itself and, um, uh, or return something different than what they said and they, they're seeking a credit for it. How do you monitor that and what do you, what do, you do to reduce the risk there? Mm -hmm. Well, so there's different, uh, depending on the retail client, there's different rules that they'll have. Uh, you know, if a different item is, is returned, uh, some retailers just want it to be a great experience, just give a refund right away, and we'll just deal with the risk. And they'll, you know, it might be one and a half percent of the goods are fraudulent, they get returned, but for them, it's better just to focus on a good experience. Um, uh, others will have rules where you, know, you don't pay them out if it, if it doesn't match. Um, and, uh, and in terms of other fraudulent activities, we don't, we don't keep the customer data ourselves. So often what will happen is a retailer will have the customer data We'll have the conditions and matching of the goods versus that, uh, that customer number that will feed on to the retailer. So they'll be able to have systems that will say, okay, this person has done it once. It's a mistake. You know, we, we don't play. But if it happens like a second time or a third time, uh, they might blacklist people actually. And they also have these bigger companies have full fraud departments that will look for organized crime schemes that actually will end up happening. So we, we provide the data and that comes from the returns we actually don't do the fraud analytics ourselves that's often an internal thing they do got it so you're you're part of the solution but it's not on you to to prevent that other than the report hey this was this was returned in a condition other than we expected or this wasn't even the right product or whatever it is and then they kind of handle it from there uh, okay thank you that was that's helpful um so i'm going to shift gears to kind of the internal side of things and uh, I'll, I'll do a, a little audience participation here. Uh, so in the chat, I'd love for you, uh, for anybody who's running a business of any size, just uh, just post in the chat, how many people do you have in your in your company? If you're by yourself, just put one. If you've got 10 people, 10 is good. Just to get a sense of kind of the scale, the rough scale of, of folks that are uh, participating today. Um, and with that, Toby, you have a, a, a pretty large team. 
you were distributed in some ways before uh, the pandemic. You had multiple offices, but you also had a core, a central core. Uh, you were uh, a nominated, I guess nominated, you, you were named a top workplace by the Washington Post for 2020. Um, you obviously did a great job motivating your team and your culture in 2019, which is when that award was evaluated. How have you shifted into the pandemic time and what has that, what has that been like for you? What things did you bring forward and, ad and adapt and what things have you had to reinvent? Yeah, so the, the, the first thing we wanted to focus on was, was communications, um, you know, in this time with so much change. So we initially actually were doing uh, daily all hands with the company, then it went to three times a week. And now we've, uh, we've settled on uh, weekly all hands with the entire company. Uh, and that's been working really well. Uh, during those all hands, we'll, we'll go over uh, any major updates, we'll go over progress against goals, we'll do a Q&A session, and then we'll do a deep dive. Uh, and then uh, something we also started doing during those recently, which uh, actually got from you, Scott, uh, was using the, the Zoom uh, feature where you can do breakouts for random connections. So each week we'll pick a topic, like what was your first job, and you get broken out with three random colleagues and have five minutes to talk about your first job. And that, that's to try to replace that random coffee, uh, you know, the, the connection that you have around uh, the coffee machine. So that's something we've looked at. We did a, a, a volunteer, volunteering was a big part of our culture before. And, uh, you know, it's been harder since a lot of people are worried about safety uh, to get together and do things. So we, we did a volunteer day where we did have some people outside in person, but we did uh, a ton of it. Everyone did virtually and people were uh, slacking about it, taking pictures, uh, going back and forth. So we did a volunteer day and we've done trivia nights, uh, which has been helpful. Um, and then, uh, um, what else? Uh, you know, the other thing I've, I've done is just uh, create a list of people to, to constantly rotate through to connect with and have done uh, lots of walk and talks with them. And so I'll, I'll do that in certain days. You know, Fridays is usually one I'll spend uh, several hours at the end just trying to connect with different people to do that. It has the, the cultural vibe shifted or changed at all? I'm sure you've added people to your roster. I'm sure some people have left. What's that, how has that been different through this, the last six months? We've, uh, we've seen people moving. So we've had more remote requests uh, than ever, as you could imagine, and not just temporary moves. You know, people are, 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 I think, taking this as an opportunity to say, hey, you know, I know the company's gonna be flexible now, and they're probably gonna have to be flexible afterwards. So people, uh, you know, are assuming that I think we're going to be flexible long-term. So, uh, which, you know, I think we, you know, we likely will, and most businesses will be much more flexible in terms of remote working. So that's one of the things that uh, we've seen change. Um, Culture-wise, I am, I mean, it's, it's not fun being on Zoom all day, every day. So I definitely miss being in person. I think other people do also. I know some people on the team are starting to go on walks together and, you know, meet outside with a whiteboard. So there are people who are safely uh, finding ways to, to meet up if they're, if they're up for, for, for it. So, you know, I, I do wish we could find more ways to do that. Or, you know, we're thinking of having a, for those who want to attend a company picnic, you all just bring your own blanket and you all have to sit like 10 feet away from each other. You know, I've done it with 
family and friends and it, it seemed to work <laughs> uh, pretty safely that way. Got it. All right. Well, we're going to turn back to the, to your kind of business from a, from a, I guess an operation standpoint. So your, uh, your, the category of your business is interesting because you're, you're really like a network of both retailers on one side and, and retailers and distribution partners on the other side. And you're kind of connecting all those pieces together. You've got a logistics business in the middle of it. What have you done as a kind of an aggregator? You're aggregating lots of these pieces together to create a moat around your business, a, um, you know, to protect it from a competitive, you know, from the competitive landscape and, and do you have competitors that are in the space already or were there uh, before you? Um, for us, it's about uh, the data, it, it, you know, is crucial and our product spans uh, across all the solutions for returns. And what's really crucial is having the information on what all the markets are paying for these products coming back in different conditions, but then using that data, to power the routing of the goods from when they're first coming back. And so, uh, you know, you can't do a good job routing goods logistics wise from, from when a return is initiated. If you don't know what market it should go to and what it's going to sell for and how it should be processed. And so for us, it's really been having the data from, uh, the, where the returns are initiated, the data from all the logistics, uh, facilities that are tied together to process the goods and then having the data and the, and, and the network, uh, from the e-commerce side. And the, you know, the other thing that helps us build a moat, and, and so if we have a client, the more products that go through our, our platform, the uh, better our routing algorithms will be. So we have machine learning in place that's, that's collecting data from each outcome and adjusting based off of uh, supply and demand and, um, you know, and logistics costs and all. So the more we do, the, better, the harder it's going to be to replace that. The other thing that is important is building a network. So as we add bigger clients, uh, more and more of them, we're building best in class processing networks for those categories of goods. We're also building best in class e-commerce channels for them uh, and drop off points for these returns. So the bigger, the more people we have on our platform, the better our network is for processing returns that other people can use. And it makes us, uh, that much better. Got it. Cool. So you've, you, part of your business mission is to reduce, you know, overall landfill, you know, waste and, uh, and make sure that, you know, we've got the resources we need to have a sustainable planet. How are you measuring and demonstrating that? Like, what are you using from a, you talk a lot, a lot about a data, about data, do you have any way of knowing what percentage of the, of the returns that sort of aren't going through you are continuing to go to the landfill and how many, you know, I don't know how you measure it, pounds of waste you're actually avoiding going to landfills? Like how are you, how do you track that and how do you demonstrate it to your key stakeholders? Sorry, the vacuum cleaner that I hear starting the next door. Hopefully. We can hear you fine. Um, we, so we have a, uh, a sustainability team and what they do before we start working with or before we implement our technology with the client, 
they measure all the waste that's generated from their returns. And so they actually go in and they look at how all the returns are being routed, uh, how many times they're shipping in the, the current setup, what's going to landfills. And so we set a, a baseline off of that. And then when we put our technology in place, we measure the, the difference. And in many cases, it'll be 50% to 70% reduction in waste generated uh, from returns for those clients. Wow. And so do you aggregate that all up on a monthly or quarterly basis and kind of share it with the world? Like, We, we do. Yeah, we, we aggregate it on a monthly, but you know, pull it together on a quarterly basis. And then we have a, a sustainability report that we, we share with our investors once a year. Wow. That's amazing. That, uh, and do your employees get, have visibility and all that? Is that part of what you know, keeping from a reten employee retention standpoint, is that part of your strategy? They do. We, we need to get better at doing it more real time. Um, you know, we used to report it on a, a monthly or quarterly basis. Uh, you know, I would say one of the areas that we, we could improve during this, this virtual time is, is having just better real time dashboard for, for, for different important metrics. But yeah, we, we try to, to message that out to our employees. I mean, they're very, um, sustainability focused and, you know, and are motivated by making a positive impact. Awesome. So a lot of uh, the, the folks joining us today are in a range of different businesses. Some of them are service providers. Some of them are, are building startups. Some of them are solopreneurs. Um, we're all facing a different world kind of in the pandemic and then kind of post pandemic. So, as you're planning for Opturo, when you look at the next 12 to 15 months, let's say between now and the end of next year, what, what are the big things you're planning around? What do you see as the, either the key future elements that we all should be paying attention to or that in particular you're paying attention to for your business, given that you touch a lot of commerce overall, which is a big part of the economy? What, um, what do you see kind of on the, the nearish term horizon? Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, we see that the, you know, for folks on retail, the massive boom in e-commerce and all the trends pointing to uh, e-commerce has now accelerated five years ahead of, you know, of where, where it was. Everyone was investing in it, but all these investments have been pulled forward. So, uh, you know, we, we believe that e-commerce, you know, it'll dip a little bit, uh, I'm sure, when COVID ends. Uh, but the, the fact that people have been forced for uh, a year to adopt online only, you know, what, half the battle is just getting people to adopt uh, these new habits. And so uh, it will continue at a much higher rate than before. And uh, retailers will continue to invest in e-commerce enablement. So for us... We're going to just continue to double down and triple down on focusing on uh, e-commerce returns. Um, and, and even you know, if there's you know, big problems and stuff in brick and mortar, investment's not going to go to storefronts. People, you know, retailers, even afterwards, are still going to be focusing on, on e-commerce because they're going to be playing catch up also uh, to all of the supply chain problems that they've had. Um, I think the interaction between mobile and stores will be more seamless. So, you know, people will go back to probably picking up more items in store, 
uh, but they're still going to you know, buy online. People will even be buying online in stores a lot more. Um, I think that'll be natural. I think uh, mobile payment will, will be another thing that uh, everyone does. You know, it'll be Apple Pay or similar everywhere you go. Uh, I think that'll be typical. I think for us, what that helps to do, though, is it digitizes every order. And so uh, even though someone's getting in a store, there are now many, many, many more digitized orders, which allows people to return them more efficiently um, because you already have that data and information that they can just click on and power return mobile, which also allows the retailers and manufacturers to collect more data on why certain items are coming back so they can design them better, market them better, uh, so they're less likely to come back in the first place. Um, I also think that'll allow for uh, down the road, uh, ma making a more of a, a circular business platform for retailers. Because once you digitize every transaction, you can make it easier years down the road for people to return that item as a trade-in. And so I, I think that'll digitizing a lot more of these, these transactions will help to make it so you actually can power a more circular economy. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of companies are under pressure to manage the input side of their product development, especially in hard goods where they understand the components that are there, which to your point about digitizing, if you've got the digital supply chain up to the point of the thing produced, and then you can understand better where to take it on the downstream side, whether there's components that can be recycled or there's components that can be awesome. Uh, so uh, for those of you who are coming back and you're watching this that's recorded, um, for reasons we got kicked off the Zoom and we dropped out of our conversation with Toby. And given that Toby's 2020 explanation at the beginning of this call, I'm officially blaming him. Um, this seems to follow you around. Uh, so uh, I'm going to pick up where we left off, uh, but I, I want to dive in a little bit on the on the kind of the future roadmap side of things. So as you look out, are there one or two critical things for your business that you are um, that you see over the next year within that context that are really important? Um, that you're looking forward to delivering? Um, problem, problems you're solving? Yeah, you know, we're going to continue to, we have a lot of um, uh, you know, some interesting products that will be coming at, out, making uh, the returns experiences easier and much more efficient. So easier for consumers and more efficient for retailers. Um, so that's something we'll be working a, a lot on. And part of it is, uh, is tying together these big logistics and storefront networks um, uh, for the bigger retailers and, and helping to use them for smaller e-commerce retailers that don't have those infrastructures. So how can you help the retailers who have these giant invested brick and mortar infrastructures, help them get more money out of them by using it, but also help them use that specialty uh, to provide better services to the, the smaller uh, e-commerce world. Got it. So uh, this is a downstream question for you, and uh, we're going to plow through. We've got about four or five questions we'll go through. So um, kind of in summary, we know that the recycling options uh, have gotten limited downstream, especially for there was a lot of material that was going to China that's no longer going there. And we've many of us have read stories about how it's ending up in landfills anyway, even things that were traditionally more um, recyclable. Have 
Have your routing options been impacted positively or negatively as a result of that? Because I know a lot of what you're trying to do is to make sure it never gets even down to that way downstream recycling that you want them to be reused. But has that made things better or worse from you, those the, the more constricted recycling options? Um, it's hurt uh, downstream recovery a bit for some of our clients, but what we try to do and use that as a, uh, uh, you know, forcing mechanism where don't wait till it gets that far downstream to try to address it farther upstream and address it locally uh, rather than having to just send these things offshore. Got it. So before it ever ends up on a big, con- in a big container ship or on a barge somewhere, let's capture it ahead of time. Yep. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, and then uh, you talked a little bit about um, partners and I, and we've had a few questions around partnerships. So if you're, you've obviously got a bunch of them, what advice do you have, you know, two or three things that you'd give to someone who's creating their first partnership? What are the big, um, uh, you know, I guess pieces of advice you have for uh, most effectively creating that partnership? Um, one dream, dream big, but also, uh, don't just take anyone that's, that will come along, really look at who will be the best partner, uh, for your solution at scale and then start working on it way ahead of time. You know, it took us, I don't know, three years. So one of our biggest partnerships is with UPS, UPS, uh, ships the most ground goods in the the company, the country also handles the most returns. And so our thought was if we can partner with them and put our technology uh, at the beginning of the returns initiation process with them, we could reduce the maximum amount of waste. And at first we were tiny when we approached them, but we started off, we literally started off with a, a uh, relationship with the UPS sales rep in, in our area of Atlanta, Maryland at the time. And just, uh, he then introduced us to his boss who then introduced us to his boss and then his boss, and then eventually, after three years, uh, we got a partnership going with them, and you know it's been it's been great. So, uh, yeah, I would say just really look for someone where also where there's mutual benefits. It was clear that uh, there were mutual benefits for both of us, so they can help us get our product out to market more. Uh, we can help them by controlling more return shipments, and also then uh, keeping goods out of landfills, but it ends up still shipping a lot of them to, to consumers and businesses to be reused. So, uh, there, you know, and then even on the consolidation side, we, they can help get a cut, but, um, yeah, just look for mutual benefits and, uh, start working on it a, a ahead of time, um, as well. And it's just a lot of networking inside. <laughs> yeah. I think that you, you put your, your finger on something that's really important. Uh, so I'm pile on the start early. Uh, you don't have to have everything fully baked. You don't have to have a big ta-da, especially with larger partners. They tend to take a while. And so you end up having to sort of socialize it. And that's the second thing is that uh, partnerships with larger companies, there tend to be multiple, sometimes dozens or even hundreds of people that are involved in cementing that relationship in place. And so building those relationships early and, and, uh, and creating them and then it's just going to take a while. Uh, it is a really big, big part of it. And I think that there's a, um, you know, I think for a lot of startups, if you're going to go down the route of having those large partners, you need to be in for the time 
uh, that comes along. You talked about three years to pull those partnerships together. You know, it's not uncommon for it to take six, 12, 18 months to get something in place. And even then it might not be the full partnership that you wanted. It's only some piece of the puzzle. Uh, so good advice from, from that standpoint. When you, uh, if you think about this, a question about a, a specific type of business model, have you done anything uh, within Optoro licensing your technology to anyone else? Are there third parties that can integrate with your system so that let's say point of sale systems, for example, that you, so you're not the one integrating with them. Some other system is doing that. How do you, how do you tackle, if you have, how do you tackle that? And if you haven't, how, how would you help somebody think about that? We have, uh, we have not, we have not licensed out our technology uh, yet. We've, talked about it with some of our bigger partners, but never have gotten around to doing it. Um, we, we have licensed uh, another company's technology that we fit within our solution uh, to, you know, to help in, in some of the aspects. And, uh, you know, for us, it was just making sure that, um, you know, we, we still were integrated into the spots where we, where we controlled uh, the, the proper data that we needed for the rest of our solution so that if, you know, for whatever reason that partnership ever ended, we still had the right data integrations. So uh, we were really focused on that part. And then on the company side, just making sure that uh, we were aligned with the company that we were doing that with and uh, like them and had the, the same uh, goals uh, together. And you, know, you make it mutually beneficial uh, economically as well. You never want to take advantage of a, of a partner uh, because, you know, eventually they'll, they'll walk away when they can. Then. I think it's a, it's a, just a basic reminder of commerce. I think that there needs to be in a true partnership, there needs to be mutual benefit. And then oftentimes, especially if you're the smaller of the two organizations and, and if you're a vendor or you're a supplier to others, uh, figuring out how to make sure that that the benefits lean at least a little bit into the buyer's side of things. That's kind of how commerce generally works. So th the benefits of the, this, the buyer have to be just at least a little bit better than the benefits of the seller, and that tends to keep the machine running. Um, we had a question here that's a it's a bit of a hypothetical, and, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to answer it first, and then I'll take a crack at it as well. Um, so uh, one of our uh, one of our audience has a uh, has raised a small first round of capital. What do you think that their first priority should be? They're a consumer marketplace, uh, so consumer facing marketplace. Do you what counsel do you have for somebody who's just got their first pile of money? Um, trying to think back to when we we got our our, our first pile of money. I mean, the first thing we did. Uh, was was make sure we have the, the great core team in place to, to build our product and execute on our vision. I see one person who was on that team who was way nodding her head, Jess. <laughs> Hire Jess as the first person when you get that money. <laughs> it's, uh, I'll take my, my cut at it too. And, and we have time probably for one more question. So if anybody's got a burning question for Toby, uh, post it now. Uh, I think that the, the big challenge is um, chances are the plan that you raised your capital on and the strategy, you may have, you probably have new information that you didn't have 
uh, when you went through that process. And so it's really worth taking the time to do a, an assessment of where you are now and what has changed, and then assume that everything takes significantly longer than you thought. And so how you go about deploying that capital is going to be really important because it may, if things take longer, you may, to Toby's point, maybe you want to hire 10 people, that's your plan, but who do you start with and how do you absorb those people into your team and then make sure that you're making the progress that you need to along the way. So my take on it is be really thoughtful at that moment in time about are there changes to your strategy and and if you make an assumption that things are going to take a lot longer, what might you do and how might you sequence things a little differently in that in that moment? Um, I've got one more question for you, uh, Toby, which is uh, how do you approach innovation at the company, either implementing new tech or new ideas? You've you are, having been around for 10 years, you, obviously there in the early days, it's you and a small group of people that are doing it. Now you've got a much bigger enterprise. You've got at least three big areas of focus from a product development standpoint. What what do you do to keep everybody? Uh, can you all hear me? I think frozen on. And we can hear you. And we can hear my dog. We lost Toby. All right, we'll give him 30 oh, more seconds. Sorry. Back. Lost you all for there. Can you hear me? Yes. Were you able to hear me or should I repeat I the I can't question? hear Scott now. Can you hear Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I think you asked, I heard, how do you approach innovation? Bingo. At the company. Um, you know, we're always just looking to, to what is the problem of the, of the market and the pain of our, you know, of, 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 of our clients. And often uh, we, we, we start working from there. How can we solve the client's pains? Um, you guys are frozen. Can you hear me? Keep talking. Keep talking. Sorry about that. Um, we, yeah, I mean, one of, one of our main values is be collaborative. And so we, we love having people uh, share their ideas throughout the company. Uh, we also uh, love innovating and always trying to solve the next problem, you know, probably to a fault, honestly, uh, you know, where, um, you know, we've got the, the common problem of we're always, you know, there's so much we want to do. And I think uh, for us, it's the harder part is deciding what not to do. And, I, you know, I, and uh, that's where, where we need to we need to get better. Uh, I'm going to leave it on that point. I, I think that's really great advice. And especially for those of us who are running smaller businesses, um, you know, either solopreneurs or we're much earlier, it's often about deciding what to take off the list and what to take off the plate uh, than it is about adding more to it. So, uh, Toby, thank you very much. And thank you for tolerating uh, the chaos of 2020. Um, for yourself, but also in this, uh, in our in our DC Startup Week Founders Focus edition of Technology Mayhem, uh, we've uh, we've pulled everything back together and uh, really appreciate everybody joining. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Founders Focus. What did you think? You got any feedback for us? Got a topic that you'd like us to discuss, or maybe a future co-host? We'd love to hear from you. Just hit me up on LinkedIn at T Scott Case. And uh, join us at foundersfocus.com to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join us live every week at our Founders Focus sessions. Hope to see you there.